can we get a refund on 2021? Well, you know what? Let let me just say this on, on January 6th, I was actually on a call, um, talking to somebody about some business. And while she's talked to me, I said, I don't mean to interrupt you, but they're storming the Capitol right now. Yeah. Yeah. And then I said, and I almost wanted to put her on hold because I had to send a few messages to Nancy Pelosi, like, Nancy, I hope you're not there. <laughs> There's danger outside your door. I think it's, it's danger, girl. Job. And I did. I, I sent a few notes to her to Twitter, like, Nancy Pelosi, um, I hope you are not there because something bad is happening. I don't know if you could see it. This girl, it was like, crazy. They said he was, they said Pence was feet away from some of those folks. Oh and like his family, his daughter and stuff was with him. Mm-mm. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, if this was Flatbush and <laughs> Pence was somebody who lived in Flatbush, like he would be done with Trump. Yeah. Yep. Right. He would have kicked his butt. He would have kicked his ass. He would have cussed him out in yep. all different types of ways and been like, we done. Party the same way that Trump was done. acting, how he was from Queens. Yeah, that's how, that's how Pence should have acted. And that's exactly. you know what Pence, Pence should have been like Secret Service. The minute it's clear, I need you to drive me to the White House. I got something to do. I got something to do. It's all about the sauce, the sauce, the sauce. Boy, come and taste the sauce, the sauce, the sauce. She won't give you junk food. I will give you. Hello, what's a guan, and welcome to Tea and Talk, our podcast for moms where we discuss hot pepper topics, chat with notables, influencers, and share our everyday lives with you each week. We're all native Brooklyn Caribbean American moms living in the suburbs and giving you a dose of how we navigate life in the hood, motherhood, sisterhood, childhood, the neighborhood. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you do, like, share, subscribe, and comment. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome, ladies. Hey. Are you from Caribbean descent? I am not. I'm African-American. I'm surrounded by all my girlfriends <laughs> are Haitian. You know, I dated Trini and Jamaican before. Like, it's just, like, you know, college. So, uh, I definitely hear a little accent, Nikki. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know, you can't live in New York without right being without. exposed and being in yes. Uh, Nikki, tell us about yourself, your family, and um, did you actually grow up in Wyandanche? Yes. Yeah, so um, I grew up in Wyandanche. I'm born and raised in Wyandanche, second generation. Um, I now live in Freeport, Long Island, but I'm still still on Long Island after spending some years in the city. But um, yeah, born and raised in, in Wyandanche, which is a, a great and difficult so at time communities to grow up in. Um, but then, you know, went on to college and studied at NYU, got a degree in finance, made a few career moves, um, as uh, we may get into. But, you know, I started in, in consulting, made my way into diversity and inclusion, and then ultimately left of my job in August to focus on publishing this book and um, also helping my family through this whole pandemic and homeschooling, which I'm sure a lot of you may be uh, familiar with, but yes. Of course. How many, do you have kids? I do. So I have, I'm married and I have one son in my home who's five years old. He just turned five in November and I have a stepson who also lives in Long Island, and he is 15. 
So wonderful. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So right now I've been, you know, author of this book, Home for Hurricanes. I'm speaking as well. I'm a diversity and inclusion professional and part owner and um, co-owner with my husband in a real estate investment company where we invest in properties on Long Island. So, so Nikki, you, you have your hands full. You have a full yes. plate. You have a full plate. And so one of the questions I had in mind when, you know, I came across everything that you're doing is how did you navigate your way in your career, which landed you as a leader in diversity and inclusion? Yeah, so I started um, my career just and spent 10 years almost in a big four accounting company. I was working at Deloitte & Touche, um, consulting with different companies there. And I really knew that I hated what I was doing. I hated doing kind of this audit type of work, um, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? So I would write still, I you know, still had a passion for writing. I had a couple of blogs that I had while working, but I could not figure out exactly what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to just run from something into anything. Like I wanted to be running towards something. So I stayed in that career for almost 10 years. And also because I was doing well, I was getting promoted, even though I didn't like it, (laughs) it was still paying the bills, I was progressing. So there was, um, you know, the career trajectory trajectory was clear and it looked promising, but it was not what I wanted to do. And then um, there were two incidences that happened in 2017 that really kind of tipped me to the edge in terms of changing my career to diversity and inclusion. And it was the shooting of um, Alton Sterling and uh, I, I forget the other part. There's been so many shootings, but I forget which other one took place in that same. It was a, it, two shootings in one week um, in the summer of 2017. And I felt very compelled to be working in this space. I was already working in diversity and inclusion part of the time in my role at Deloitte, but I really wanted to make a career transition. I felt like I really wanted to help companies navigate this space because, you know, we didn't get any kind of acknowledgement or like we didn't pause, no one, it was kind of BAU, business as usual when we went into work. And um, I just really felt like we should be doing something. So I wrote a letter to the CEO um, and mentioned that the silence is deafening you know, given everything that we've been responding to abroad and and otherwise, the Pulse shooting, nightclub shooting that had happened, you know, to the LGBTQ community. And we were, you know, as we should have been sending out messages of support and it just wasn't there for the black community. So I, I, that was kind of the pivotal moment where I said, you know what, I need to move, you know, even if it means starting over, even if it means kind of rebranding myself as a diversity and inclusion professional, I need to step away and, and figure out how to make that move into that. That, um, was pretty, that was pretty courageous of you because in the time span that you're speaking of, you were ahead of the wave. I hate to use the word wave, but yes. uh, you know, corporate America didn't really wake up until we responded to George Floyd and it being on video. Um, yes. So that was- Well, well that, wait, I have to say something. A lot of the murders, that black men have suffered has been on video. It's just mm-hmm. that George Floyd 
was a moment where it was it was no guns. It was just a knee to the throat. And I think a lot of corporate people who usually don't say anything posted something on their LinkedIn and Mm -hmm. it broke a barrier that was almost sacred. It started to have a corporate conversation because everybody likes to keep their LinkedIn, their Facebook, their Instagram, their Twitter separated. And I think it was the one time that black people and people of color felt so angry Mm -hmm. that we couldn't even hold it back on our corporate platforms anymore. And it was also the combination of us all being at home. Oh, yeah. And being, but I got to also say, yeah, I agree. But also let's just, let's, let's rewind all the way back to Rodney King Ah. and Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how the entire country thought that that was unjust. And what happened with the cops was unjust. There was no Black Lives Matter then. None. There was no constant, like, you know, out there. 24 hour news feed, right. So I think it was the perfect storm for us now to find a summer where there's this awakening and everybody now, like the white people are supporting Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry, I got to credit Rihanna for telling them white people to pull up at the NAACP in said White people pull up, right? And so you had this perfect storm of just everybody wanting to kind of like be a part of making sure that, you know, Black people at least get a, a, a better a better just system in America. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely. It, it was interesting, so, you know, so with Nikki, with, with you having comfort and um, yeah. a steady paycheck and a husband mm-hmm. and children to take care of, what was your tipping point in you deciding that I'm going to leave all of this behind and start something totally new? Most people wait until their midlife to start this. What made you want to do this? Well, I, uh, well, if we're talking about when I decided to start my book, like leave my job and and start to publish this book, it was actually exactly what we just mentioned. So George Floyd, the Mm. murder of George Floyd happened. I am corporate vice president of diversity and inclusion at a fortune 100 financial institution. Mm -hmm. And I was being pulled in a million different directions. It was a very demanding time, of course. There was a lot of flurry, a lot of fluster to now um, respond to every single person, individual person's, individual leaders need to um, communicate and show compassion and such. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself, um, you know, doing... what I normally do in diversity and inclusion, which is running programs, educating people, raising awareness, mitigating bias, you know, creating new processes and systems and strategies to do that. But then on top of that, now it became also a communications kind of practice of, which it already entailed, but more like, okay, now I have to do individual, I was being everything to everyone. (laughs) And that was all, that was all fun. But for me, it was also emotionally exhausting because I'm going through it as a black person Mm -hmm. as well. And we're in this pandemic. I felt like I didn't have a voice that was my own in that moment. Like I didn't have a space to to be Nikki Murphy, you know. And it was very much like, okay, I'm representative of this company. Company, but then at the same time, I'm homeschooling my son. I have this really powerful book that I know that I'm sitting on the manuscript, and I need to get it out to the world. And my work just blew up tenfold right like we're like okay let's try to create some programming let's try to capture this attention that everyone's giving us right now and this receptiveness and so since we're trying to capitalize on that 
my work, the next few months for me at work were going to be insane. Like through mm -hmm. the rest of this year, probably into 2021, because it had already started with the transition to work from home for COVID. So for me, it was like, okay, this is a time where I feel something very pressed on my heart that I need to be putting this book out. I had already thought it was done last year in 2019, but work kept interfering with me kind of moving forward because I was kind of moonlighting writing this book. So then when it came to this year and I had set my heart on publishing it, publishing it, publishing it, and then this happened and I need a place to, to, to show up as myself, to use my authentic voice. And I'm sitting on this book, which mm -hmm. also speaks to the black experience. And I'm just like, I need to get this done. And I need to actually prioritize my family and my, my personal work and personal purpose, um, which at this time seems to be misaligned with where um, we were headed at work and what okay. I needed to do in the world. So that's a big leap. I mean, you left comfort to become an entrepreneur. Yes. And then you yeah. also became a real estate investor in an environment yeah. where people are losing their mind. Like how, how does that come into play? Well, we started the real estate investing business two years prior. So um, in, in three years prior. So in 2017, when I mentioned that I made the transition into diversity and inclusion, before I did that, I took a break from work. I uh, needed space to to um to understand what I wanted what direction I wanted to bring my career whether I wanted to pursue entrepreneurship etc so I was home for six months and while I was on that sabbatical um is where one I decided I was going to go into diversity and inclusion but then also is when I took my husband and, and myself we got together and took out our last 10,000 and went to a property auction and won our first investment property. And then from there have been building that business. So that was part of um, the reason since we did have some sort of revenue coming in from those rental properties, that was part of how we were comfortable for me to, to step away from work right now, even though it wouldn't be comfortable for our family per se, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's still a sacrifice, but we had some other form of income but you know it's COVID times and tenants you know oh, <laughs> tenants are having God. a hard you, time you too tell me I already have a lawyer on retainer <laughs> trying to get one of my tenants to either get out or pay me I don't know which one right <laughs> no it's oh, real out here it's, yeah. it's it's very real as a landlord and you know as someone trying to to pay bills at this time yeah. too it's yeah you know, I, I find it I find it when you said that um, you needed to show up as your authentic self that rang through mm -hmm. me. I, I don't know if you ladies remember right as the George Floyd thing was blowing up, there was a meme running that said, you know, something to the sort, if you have a black coworker or you're a black coworker, we're not all right. We're not mm -hmm. okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So like we, we, we are suffering. Like we're showing yes. up with this face on, but we are suffering. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I, I understand the feeling like I, I you know, like I've got to jump ship because I can't play this game anymore. Yes, yes. And I felt that I had left it in capable hands. I had built up a team. They were well equipped. And I felt like this was the right time to let them kind of shine in this opportunity um, and let other people kind of step up in the absence of me. You know, I do have this feeling that one day I want to put my book out. Yeah. And... I don't consider myself a writer, 
but Mm -hmm. I do consider myself a writer. So I wanted to ask you, when did you first consider yourself like, oh, I'm a writer. And what were some of the challenges that came to you while you were writing the book? Did you ever kind of lose your confidence in like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do it? Like, and then what was the process for you to get to, yeah. that, to get to the finish line? Absolutely. So I can totally relate. I mean, even still, I didn't call myself a writer until I actually wrote this book. So I've been writing for years. I've written, you know, papers. I've written in my journal. I've written um, blogs. I've written work papers. Um, but there's something about like, I just felt like I wasn't qualified to call myself a writer, even though I knew, you know, I was talented and I had perspective and, and all of that. But it wasn't until I had a, a like a book and I started being intentional about calling myself a writer once I started drafting this book mm-hmm. in the beginning of 2019. So that's when I um, started to call myself a writer. Uh, and even that felt weird. And it felt weird to call myself a poet e- even more so because um, I, I, this book is poetry and prose and I had not been on any poetry circuits. I don't have poetry friends. I didn't perform poetry until um, actually the beginning of this year. Black History Month was my first public um, performance oh. and it was so well received. And um, I performed the, the poem for Roman, which is in this book. And it was really powerful. People were moved to tears and everything. And I was just like, okay, this is amazing. <laughs> um, I, you know, so it was very validating, but that was um, the, the poet piece probably came a little bit harder for me because I felt like I was not a traditional poet. And what I had to end up doing was finding a circle, finding some books of poets that were Black contemporary poets that spoke to me and, you know, my experience that weren't just talking about flowers and the fall and the leaves turning and all of that, because to me, that wasn't poetry that I could relate to. I like poetry that is raw, raw emotion, telling stories, um, and that, you know, really helps speaks in, in language that I can understand that I wouldn't have to go to the dictionary and, <laughs> and look up, you know, what these words mean. So for me, it was very important that I made my book um, and wrote it in a way that was readable for someone who maybe was not, uh, is not a poetry reader or traditionally wouldn't pick up a poetry book because I think the story is, is that important that uh, I wanted to reach a lot of people, you know, people that have experienced sexual assault, rape, um, and real fatherlessness and all the issues that I touch upon in here. And for me, writing it was difficult in that the, the hardest part though was finding the time with everything else going on. Um, but what I did was I dedicated I didn't have time in my schedule. I didn't have time, I was working on weight loss. I had my four-year-old at the time, um, commuting into the city, New York City, for an hour and 15 minutes each way. And so I used my commuting time and I used, I got to the office, I could only get to the office 30 minutes earlier. Um, You know, having put my son on the bus, (laughs) I can only get in 30 minutes earlier. So for those 30 minutes, I would stop at a hotel near my office and write in the lobby. 
And I dedicated that time consistently or as consistently as I could, you know, things come up at work where I need to be there early or something might come up. But as consistently as I could, I used my time as long as I got a three seater on the Long Island Railroad and no one was sitting next to me (laughs) in that middle seat, I could like work on my poetry there. I could work in this hotel lobby. So this book was very much done in transit. And it was also kind of picked up and put down at several points. And I've had so much happen in that past year that informed this. You know, we had some murders that happened, um, of, of course, of Black men and women through, through that time period. So that informed some of the stories that I shared in here. I also lost a friend unexpectedly in Trinidad and, and flew to Trinidad for the first time. I visited Trinidad last summer and summer of 2019 for her funeral. And just being in Trinidad and being, you know, at the mountains and seeing the, being at the beach and eating bacon shark and just being surrounded by this community of Black women and seeing Black women, y'all you know, should, women that look like me everywhere, y'all you know? Y'all should see how I bless you. Yeah. Or they should see how I bless you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Our yeah. But Diane, yeah. even the way she says Trinidad, right? She sounds right? like a West Indian. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You should see how I'm blushing, Nikki, that you had that experience in my little home. <laughs> home now. Shark. She put I that love it. Shark. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, I, I love Trinidad. I've always loved the culture, but, you know, to be in Trinidad and to, you know, I stayed with people there and didn't, you know, stay at a hotel or anything. So it was very um, loving and warm and comforting and just like a celebration to me of Black women and love. Um, in a way that I have not seen represented in the States. So um, that informs even some of the homage that I paid to Black women in this book as well. So lots happened over this time period, but I think because it took me a while to write it and, you know, I had to stop and put it down and when things got too busy, that, um, that it really ended up being more dynamic because of it. And that, you know, there were way more influences that went into the book because of it as well. That's amazing. Um, (laughs) Have you, I mean, I'm sure all of us have kind of, and uh, uh, we've, going back to our countries, uh, um, um, my family's from Jamaica. So like the experience (laughs) of going to a country that's all black. Yes really it you, you, you there's no way to describe it until you do it right 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 and then you're just like you you just relax yes <laughs> yeah i mean obviously you were ter- you were there for terrible um a reason and and we're very sorry um but oh. the beyond that the experience i i totally i get it yes yes we made it we and we made the most of it you know it was a group of girlfriends and we we Though we were there for an unfortunate circumstance, our friend who passed was very vivacious and lived life to the fullest. And so for us, you know, we were in that spirit and state of mind there. So you celebrated her. Yes, we definitely celebrated her. That's wonderful. Uh, Has has writing poetry always been a way of you expressing your thoughts and experiences? Yeah, so I've written poetry. very sporadically until 2017 when I took those six months off. At the end of my sabbatical, um, I had been spinning my wheels for five months trying to figure out what my next 
move was going to be, whether I would be starting something, whether I'd be moving into diversity and inclusion, what I wanted to do. And in that last month, I just rested. And I said, you know what, let me just enjoy this last month and try, try not to figure everything out. Um, I'll have to go back to work and I'll figure it out when I get back, but I want to enjoy this last month. And in that last month, poetry came um, to me at night, kind of just this like download of stuff that I had to get out and it was in poetic form. So I'm just writing and I have a notebook by my bed. I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing in my notes, you know, with my phone by my bed. And so that was the first time that I had like kind of this mega where I just went on for that whole, that whole month writing poetry um, and then put it down and largely and for, since then until 2019 and I'd been writing, but I had not been writing in poetry. I'd just been writing, but um, it was when I decided to write this book and the idea came to me on the train and it was like, oh, you should write this book and share your, your poetry from, from then, that period. And I was like, oh no, that's, I shouldn't do that. That wouldn't even make sense. And then I started thinking about it and I'm like, oh, I think I do have enough poems to write a book. And I kind of got tricked into by God. I say I got tricked by God into writing this book because I thought all I had to do was pull together some poems I had already previously written. But then lo and behold, the you know, we're a year and a half later and it's probably 90% new content. <laughs> so I kind of got tricked into writing a book when I thought <laughs> I was just going to be pulling together a book. <laughs> a book. Uh -huh. God has a way of doing that. Yes, yes. Um, how has, so um, revisiting some of the dark experiences of your past, yeah. how are you able to keep from reliving them and manifesting those emotions like in your current life? Yeah, that's a really good question because to write this book, you know, I had to put myself back in the room and paint those pictures and, and put yeah. myself back in those emotions, which was tough. But at the time, I would say this, the writing of it was more therapeutic than it was triggering because okay. at the time that I was writing it, I was triggered already by media. So I had watched Surviving R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. And to me, that series awoken something in me, you know, that I, I had obviously compartmentalized and, you know, to move on and, and to, to work and thrive afterward. But I realized in that moment when I'm watching this show and I'm reading also the reaction of people online to these girls and, you know, defending R. Kelly and, and it just triggered, you know, my experience in the past. Mm -hmm. And then I could not stop thinking about it. And then, you know, I was in therapy at the time. So, um, you know, therapy was part of my, you know, process, but then also writing about it was ended up being therapeutic because then I was able to now do something with these feelings that had been resurfaced because of surviving R. Kelly, because of hashtag me too, and the whole movement that Toronto Burke started. Mm -hmm. um, so it was all of these things that were coming to a head and, and, you know, it was being talked about more. It was on every show. It was, it was everywhere. And, and that was the part that was that was bringing up those emotions again and then the writing and the talking about it 
and the processing of the feeling surrounding it was actually therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a quick question because to, to me, you know, when I said Happy New Year, Jesus, just a long time ago, yeah. I, I didn't know that this year would be the year of reflection because I feel like this is the year of reflection. I have time to think. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a two hour commute into the city. I don't have to be rushing to get my kids from school. This is the year where, and I said this to a lot of people, a lot of people who used to report into me. I said, if you don't take this year to reflect, you're going to have to repeat whatever crap you haven't dealt with yet. Yeah. So what, what can you say to your, your younger self that you wish you would have done? Is there anything that you can oh. pass on that you know you wish you would have known, you wish you would have told yourself or somebody as knowledgeable as you are now could have told the younger you? Yeah, so I would probably tell myself, uh, my younger self, um, that she is enough. You know, I, I spent so much time looking for validation and love outside of myself. And so I would just, I would just tell her that she is enough. And then also that, um, that the biggest mistake that you think you've done <laughs> or that, you know, the biggest down uh, negative experience that you've had that it doesn't define you and that you have the power to still, still within you to create a new existence, a new life, a new um, story for yourself. And so I think that was something that I needed to hear as a, as a young girl. And then also to, to ask for, to tell somebody, you know, I think a lot, a lot of the times we deal with things in private and I know I did um, deal with things in private and was kind of the home for all of these hurricanes and storms that I was going through and trying to keep a straight face and still perform and still, you know, work and keep my grades up and keep my scholarship and all of these things. But um, very hesitant to reach out for help. And part of it was because I don't want to be criticized or babied or anything like that. But also, if you don't speak, you will never get help <laughs> also. So there's um, that downside that if you don't say anything, then you don't give anyone the opportunity to show you love and support and help you out. That, yeah. that is so deep. I, I, have to, I have to say this because I know you said you write. Um, the, when this whole thing happened, I started a little book, book club for my, my daughter and her little friends, just two other friends because you can't have too many kids in the house. Yeah. And I, I got a journal and each day it asked them a question and they have to answer it. And so my daughter started journaling. And it's just a way for her to express herself. And I think um, that, that you're saying, what you're saying is so deep because Sometimes you don't even understand what you're going through until you write it down. Sometimes you don't even understand what you're going through until you have been able to express it and not have somebody else give you their opinion. Just right. see it for yourself. So my daughter walked in one day and she was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm journaling. And she's like, you journal too? And I said, yes, because this is a very serious time. And I think, you know, the fact that you were able to just take a half an hour or whatever time just to start expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very big thing. And I think, I hope that whoever listens to this understands that you don't need to get validation sometimes from your friends. Sometimes yeah. the biggest validation you can get is from yourself. Yes. Yes. And I think that what I love about that and what I love about writing and journaling 
and I've always done it since I was a kid because I was very shy and private. I would my my journal, my diary at the time it was called. <laughs> you know, my diary was my um my best friend. So it was it's the one place where you can really be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And you can say things as ugly as you want to say it. You could, you know, say you hate this person or this person did this to you and you don't have to worry about defending it. But then also when you get those feelings out, then there's something about writing them out and or reading them back that yeah. you you start to analyze like, oh, well, maybe there was another way I could see this. It's the, whereas if you didn't say anything and you just kind of moved on with your life, you would never get that additional perspective. Right. So I think even though you're writing by yourself, I feel like you're getting another perspective too when you write. Um, you know, Ninja, just what I, what I found fascinating is you saying that it's never too late to reinvent yourself. Yes. I think that that's true to our younger self and it's also true to ourselves today. Absolutely. And, and I think sometimes we get to a certain point in life when we feel like we can't start over or we can't recreate a career or business and it's just never too late. And I think that's important to the younger self and today. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Live life to the fullest and pursue. The way that I the way that I live is that I don't want to have anything within me that I didn't use. Any gifts, any talents, any anything that God has entrusted me with that I did not share with right. the world. And so I don't care if I have to start over, if I have to take a financial hit. Um, and then also because I have my children looking at me as an example as well. And I don't want them to ever feel stagnant or that they have to stay in a bad situation or in a situation that's unfulfilling for them in a work situation that's unfulfilling um, to them when they know they have a deeper purpose or a, a different assignment on their heart. So I just want to live out what I would be telling my, my children. That's amazing. As you speak about children, you know, as we said at the top of the interview, um, you have a full plate. And what would you say are some of your best pointers for handling that full plate as a mom and a wife? How do you balance it all um, on a day-to-day basis? Um, Get a cleaning lady. No. (laughs) 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 seriously this is what uh this I don't I have to say I haven't mastered it at all I don't I don't know if anyone has mastered it please do share but what I what I do is um I just try to organize my day to where like now that I've eliminated my job because I knew if I tried to do everything at once I cannot so, so I knew, you know, when I got rid of my job and now I'm a full-time entrepreneur, um, what, or authorpreneur, what I do is my son goes to school and he's in person right now. So I have a six hour block that I can get work done. And I try to do all of my cannot be disturbed work during that, that time. And including if I have to go to the gym or whatever, and then you know, that way when he's home, I can give him my full attention for homework time and, you know, feed him and, and things like that. And then, you know, dinner and, and time with family. But, you know, work has to get done around the clock sometimes. You know, it, it doesn't always fit into that eight to two time frame. So 
I'm always, you know, picking something up or trying to be active on my social media, um, sharing resources, sharing, you know, black owned businesses and products that I've been purchasing um, and raising awareness. So I'm, I'm on, you know, Instagram too um, occasionally, but I try to limit the times in which I do things. So just kind of allotting blocks of time right. to certain things has worked pretty well for me. Well, like you said, I don't think any of us have, have mastered um, yeah. juggling it all. I think we're all trying our best, especially with this year that we were living in. We're actually living in history right now. Um, we'll yes. look back and say, well, we survived 2020. And, um, you know, we're glad that you are on um, your inspiration uh, to us and many others that will listen. Um, if you oh, can tell you. us where we can find your book and yes. working on and anything else present at this time that you'd like to share with us. Oh, sure. So you can find the book Home for Hurricanes by Nikki Murphy. It's a memoir of resilience in poetry and prose. You can find it anywhere books are sold. So it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble and all your favorite indie bookstores, websites. Um, and then I also have author signed copies available on my site, which is Nikki-Murphy.com. And then um, right now I'm working on, I have a couple of drafts for a book number two. So I'm working on starting that process of book number two and then also you know mark still marketing this one and um speaking so i'm i'm available booking speaking engagements and planning to get on the speaker circuit for black history month as well so um excited about that and in the meantime i'm on social at um mrs mrs nikki murphy and I'm most active on Instagram, but I'm on there connecting and sharing resources and poems and, and things about the book as well. Well, thank you, Nikki, and keep it coming. We look forward to book two. I appreciate it. And thank you so much. Thank you, Diane. Thank you all for having me. Thank you, thank you for coming.